I'm Regina Botras and welcome backstage where we talk with theatre makers from actors, directors, writers, theatre heads and beyond about their life in the theatre and how they got to be where they are now. And my guest in this podcast is the actor Helen Thompson and this first went to air on the 30th of September 2020. I saw her in No Pay No Way, Sydney Theatre Company's last production before lockdown. She's a seasoned actor across film, television and stage. If you haven't heard about her, well, you haven't been to the theatre. I am so excited to welcome the one and only Helen Thompson. Welcome to Stages. Uh, Thanks, Regina. Lovely to be here. Thanks for coming on. So I generally try to get a little idea before we jump into what you're doing now and surviving and how to, you know, give us some tips on being an actor or in the theatre world. Where are you from? Well, I'm a a Queenslander uh, originally, country Queensland. The closest town was a little town called uh, Biloela. Actually, it became quite well known because of the, just recently there were some people who were deported from there and the the community was trying to get them back off Manus Island and that kind of stuff. But anyway, that's my hometown. It's in central Queensland, southwest of Rockhampton, and I grew up on a farm that grew lucerne and wheat and sorghum, and I had ponies and uh, it was very rural yeah every girl's dream (laughs) to have their own pony so how did you come to to the theater like do do you remember were your parents creative were you in taken to see theater as a young girl well not really because so I was in sort of primary school in the 1970s and I was in high school in in the 80s and I was in country Queensland so there just there Mm. just wasn't much so no I didn't go to the theater I didn't I do sometimes wonder how I came to to um, get into it because I, I, I wasn't – and it does actually go to show that you don't need necessarily to be exposed to it to kind of gravitate to it. My father was very strict about – there was only two television stations. One was the ABC and one was RTQ7. And Dad used to rail at us if we turned it on to the commercial network. Uh, he called it B-grade American trash. Oh, and wow. Yeah, <laughs> so we couldn't be caught watching that. I used to sneak onto it occasionally, but I, I was born and bred on the ABC. So I do think that a lot of those television shows had, had a big influence on me. I remember kind of the the, the Good Life, you know, th- even things like The Goodies and yeah. the Kenny Everett show. Like in terms of my comedy, I just was amazed by them. I, this is before I even realised you could do something that was called acting. Even though we were on, on a farm, my parents were very politically aware. I remember my mum being into a lot of feminist literature in the 70s. There were books. We had a, a whole wall of books. Uh, and we were we were kind of encouraged to question and ideas were talk and big ideas were encouraged in our house and so I think maybe that could have been a bit of a basis to it but where I got the theatricality from I I just don't know couldn't tell you okay (laughs) but um you are such a great comic actor I don't know if that's you not divine because you've done Shakespeare and all kinds of things but Um, there is something about you as a the comic timing can you talk a little bit about that and how you know whether there's a key and how you find that or is it just sort of natural I think I think it's a little bit of all of that I think it is sort of you are naturally drawn to certain things and I've always had a sort of slightly kooky bent I I tend to Mm -hmm. like people who are a bit you know on the slightly camp side or the eccentric side or 
I get I get a little bit bored with people who are who are kind of really sort of straight in their personality. Just sort of I just like I like nuttiness. I, I you know maybe I'm a bit nutty, um, <laughs> but I. I <laughs> You know, so, you know, as I said, like kind of watching things like The Goodies and The Kenny Everett Show, I used to just imitate them and do the skits. I used to act out the skits for people. Oh, and, there you go. Yeah, so from an early age and all the comic timing and I'd, I'd just watch it like a hawk. I mean, I didn't realise that, that that would be put in the mix for when I would become an actor because I didn't know I would become an actor. I just... I just thought it was fun and funny, and so I I used to and I used to get my uh, younger sister Kirsty, she was my sidekick, and I'd write scripts for her and and I'd tell her how to act and when to come on and what to say. This is just in the lounge room, what have you. So I was kind of doing that just naturally from an early age, and then I was uh, there was in the town a little amateur theatrical group called the Bees Knees. And we had these little yellow Bonds T-shirts, which were screen printed with a B on it, and it said the B's knees. And we were just, you know, it was some little hokey little theatre group. And <laughs> I don't know, we used to do some, you know, some acting-y things. Um, so there was there was that. But like, there wasn't even a subject called drama at high school. Mm. And, of course, this is country Queensland and we were a little bit behind the eight ball yeah so that there were little little influences and I guess I kind of gravitated to whatever came my way then at some point in high school I think I worked out because my, my world was still pretty small I immediately thought because it was Queensland I thought of Brisbane I didn't even mm. think of something like NIDA that was just sort of a bridge too far I did kind of work out that there actually was a subject you could study that was drama so I, I, I started to work it out myself but I did see a play oh yes the first play I saw a proper play my mother took me with a group of her friends we drove two hours to Rockhampton to the Pillbeam Theatre because there was a touring production of steaming and so number one I was shocked that there was all this female nudity on stage that was kind of (laughs) that was amazing to me but it was all this fantastic character work and I've told I've mentioned this to to the beautiful Genevieve Lemon, who was in it. She played Dawn. And I just remember, I was just absolutely nuttling engrossed in this production. And Genevieve played Dawn, and Dawn was someone who was mentally handicapped. And yes. and she kind of she she acted with a sort of slight deformity in her physicality and a slightly slow speech. And she was utterly convincing. And then the play ends, and these the actors walk down stage to take their bow and Genevieve all of a sudden the character literally just fell off her and this intelligence came into her eyes and she stood up straight and walked down and took her bow and I went like I couldn't believe it that she wasn't really the person that she'd been acting and that's the first time I went oh I want to do that that character work where you can become another human that's nothing like you. I just right. and I, I do love telling Genevieve. <laughs> yeah, we had a chat with Genevieve a few weeks ago, actually. I did too. How fantastic! Yeah, well, there you go. Fantastic. Genevieve was a big influence on me early on. Absolutely. So, is it about that for you then, transformation? You or, or is there a bit of you still in there? That kooky kind of, you know, <laughs> eccentric side. Well, you're always in it. You're mm. always in it. I mean, it's always sort of the. 
you know, it's the Helen version of Elizabeth I. It's the Helen yes. version of Mrs. Warren. It's you can't not be you. You can mm. only bring, you know, as much as you can change, you're still going to be the ver- that version that comes from you. So mm. I don't think you can ever entirely hide in a in a character, but but then that, that's not necessarily the job. Mm. You're just meant to convince people that you are that person in that moment to help tell the story. The comedy side of things, like I, I, I mean, you said you, you practice the, the the goodies or the Kenny Everett sort of show, but are there other ways that you helped to define that? Because I can't imagine anything worse than being on stage and you're trying to get that laugh or you're trying to bring that character across and how you feel the audience and when you feel like they're not with you quite, you know, what do you do? Like, And how did you hone that skill well you know it's like anything if you you keep doing it you get better you just get better so you really have to be open to to new things the new experiences and you just start to kind of hoover them up into your experience and hoover this up and hoover that up but in terms of comedy when people say you should teach you should you know because you know a lot I'm thinking I would never where to begin because I don't and I probably could, but I don't write down what it is that I do. I just do it. I don't overanalyze things. And so sometimes it's hard for me to explain what it is I do because I just do it. I just I do think I probably have reasonably good instincts and I do seem to be able to look at a script and once I've read it, I just go, I know who that person is. Mm-hmm. I just seem to I just seem to know who they are and why they choose to do the things that they do. But in terms of in terms of um, comic timing, uh, you know, or just comedy per se, yeah. is it's, I don't know, it's sort of, I, I feel sometimes the best way to explain it is it's like you, you, a musician I imagine would read or interpret music. It's, it's you, you see it and you just sort of instinctively know how the rhythm of that goes that would get, get the laugh. It's partly to do with good writing. It certainly helps if you've got good writing. I'm sure timing can be taught, but I think it's more instinctive because, of course, there's not not just one way to do it. Sometimes there is pretty much one way to do a line <laughs> reading. Yeah. But a lot of the times there are interpretations and variations on that which, which will work just as well. But my thing that I would say is don't go to a script going, right, I have to be funny. How do I make this funny? Right? Mm. That's going to kill it straight off. Your, very, your first thing that you do is you have to make a three-dimensional character. Who is this woman? What does she do? What does she come from? What, what does she want? Like you've got to ask all those questions. Mm-hmm. And, and at the end of the day, your job is to take the audience on a journey with you. You need to tell them a story. If you're not telling the story clearly and you're, you're losing your audience, that's your fault. You have to take them with you. So it's ultimately not about you. It's ultimately about them. And I often say this on opening nights when, you know, everyone's got like, you know, vast amounts of adrenaline pulsating through their bodies. And you've got to just remember to breathe and just go, I've done the work. I know the work. I just need to tell the story. And and I've often sort of seen some youngies in the cast or yeah. whatever as I get older and you can see them working themselves up into a bit of a lather. Mm. And you know they're thinking, 
I have to be brilliant. I want this to be the best and I want it to be all about me kind of thing. And I just sort of quietly say, you know it, trust that you know it. And remember, it's not about you. Mm. It's about us as a cast telling the story clearly to this audience so the audience comes along with us. And you can see them sort of thinking that they're shocked. They're going, it's not about me. Of course it's about me. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that, that's one of the things you've got to remember. It's not about you. It's your job to tell your part of the story and your you, this particular note and they, that character is that particular note in it. And it all when it all works together, it's music. You utterly have to work with each other to make that story work. And so the comedy, in terms of comedy, it's the same thing. Someone needs to dish up that, that line to you so that then you can say the line that answers it, which gets the laugh. And that's teamwork. So when you have an actor who, and it doesn't happen very often, but it does happen, who, who are absolutely and utterly out for themselves, not only do they sabotage the show and the other actors around them, but ultimately they sabotage themselves. Mm. It just doesn't work. It's a team sport. You're listening to Stages and I am talking with the actor Helen Thompson. It sounds like you've been quite a mentor to some new people in the industry or coming up. Have there been mentors for you at different stages in your career or people that have kind of guided you or helped you? Yeah, I don't know that I have had a mentor actually. I'm quite good though at that. I... I, uh, have always been quite good at going up to people that I admire. Maybe that's directors or mm. cast members or older actors. And I just ask them questions. I just go up and ask them, what do you think about this? How did you find that? What, you know, what do you think of this scene? What sort of woman do you think she is? Right. I just ask them. I don't, it doesn't happen so much anymore because I'm, I'm usually know what I'm doing. But if, if I, if I feel a little lost Quite often it happens around week three of rehearsal when they're telling you books down, scripts down, mm. lines, you know, you've got to know your lines and all of a sudden you're going, oh, my God, opening night's only 10 days away or something, you start to feel sick <laughs> because, you got, you, because you've still got the, 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 the mountain in front of you and you're going, I'm halfway up the hill at best. And, you, <laughs> and, it, and it, can feel, <laughs> it can feel overwhelming. If I, if I, for some reason I don't feel or even... See, quite often directors don't praise you. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how often directors forget to praise actors. And, and you're constantly on the floor being vulnerable and revealing yourself all the time and often failing. And it's, you would be gobsmacked about how rarely it is that, that a director will say, well done, wow. or you're on the right track. So, so what happens is quite often actors get more and more paranoid and tighter and tighter until there's a bit of weeping going on in week three. <laughs> um, often I'll have a little weep and <laughs> I just need to have a little weep and, um, and then I'm kind of fine. I just need to get it, get it out of my system. But what I've learned is I'll just go up to a director and yeah. I'll, if I haven't been getting the pat on the back, because sometimes all you need is just someone to say, you're doing really well, just keep going. Mm. And, and you just don't get it. So I just go and ask them. I just go up to them in the lunch break or what have you and go, am I, are the choices and stuff that I'm making, am I vaguely on track? Are you kind of happy with where? And, you know, and usually they go, oh, yeah. Oh, no, it's great. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> but they won't tell you unless you ask. So mm. I just ask. 
and then I feel much more secure and then I calm down and I just get on with the work. (laughs) But in terms of an actual mentor, I don't think I have had a mentor as such. I've got a very close friendship with Heather Mitchell and I often speak to Heather about, about certain things, but it's more the people who gave me a bit of a leg up, really. Yeah. yeah. I, I was I have over the years been given a leg up and you need those people. You need a handful of directors or a handful of casting agents or, or a couple of theatre companies or what have you to be on your side because that's how you get the work. You need them to kind of go, I know what Helen does really well. And then when when they're kind of thinking of their season, they go, oh, Helen would be brilliant in that. That's mm. right up Helen's alley. They start to think of you. Mm. And you need to get to a position where people, companies will think of you when they're so planning their seasons. Right. Um, and I'm fortunate because I've been around for a heck of a long time <laughs> that, that I'm in that uh, lovely um, Close position. to mind. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, very early on when I, I was cast as Abigail in a production of The Crucible um, for the Queensland Theatre Company and it was a guest director, um, Roger Hodgman, who was then the artistic director of the Melbourne Theatre Company and he came north as a guest director to direct The Crucible and cast me and anyway he was very impressed with me and he said have you thought about moving down south and I said yes yes I think I'm going to move to Sydney and everything he said I think you should think about Melbourne because I'm prepared to offer you some auditions and then I did that and I went down and I worked there solidly for a couple of years and then moved on to to Sydney so you know Roger was was a spotted something in me and gave me some really fantastic opportunities. I'll always be very grateful for that because it's a big thing for Queenslanders to think about moving down south. I mean, you have mm. to. That's where the work is. So, you know, that, that, he was one. I've been with Shanahan Management for a very long time and they've been very good champions of me as well. I mean, just because, you know, when, they, when they're on the phones talking to people, they sell you, you know, and that's really important I think to have an agent that believes in you and then I've been super supported by the Sydney Theatre Company that you know from the time of of Andrew and um, Kate Um, and even before that you know with Robin so that's that's continued to to uh, now Kip Williams Um, so it's it's been more I've had people in my corner but then I think good work creates good work yeah so uh, if you've been good in that and you're lucky enough then that that job leads to another one. You know, and of course, what all actors dread is then kind of there being a, a, a too big a hiatus between jobs because then you lose your momentum and people start to forget you. It's, that's a tricky, it's a tricky one. <laughs> but, I've, but in the theatre that hasn't happened to me. It's sort of been a sort of a rolling ball that kind of, yeah, just kept moving yeah. for me snowballed yeah yeah so can you talk a little bit about the industry and how it might have changed since those early days I tell you it's interesting when I started out in the early 90s it was it was interesting theater was there was a lot of prestige about well well, there still is prestige Mm -hmm. but there was a lot of prestige and if you were a theater actor you were a theater actor if you were a film actor you're a film actor or a television actor and there was a real looking down the nose at people who worked in television. <laughs> and you certainly didn't do ads. 
whereas now you just you see it friend in an ad and you're going good on you they've just paid the mortgage for a month you know <laughs> um you know what I mean it's yeah. and of course I think the writing for ads is a heck a heck a lot of a lot wittier and right. stuff now you can actually launch a career off certain ads now mm. but there was alcohol there was a lot more <laughs> as in <laughs> Actors would drink before they would, like, you you, you wouldn't even oh. think of it now. Lots of going out and getting very drunk. <laughs> Part of you the know, industry. Was, Part of the well, social kind of. Yeah, it was the or... social thing, but I think it was a hangover from that, that British thing. You know, those actors like Oliver Reed and, <laughs> you know, those great, you know, those great thespians who'd, you know, go off and drink lots of booze after the show. And, like, I think there was sort of Possible. still that kind of, yeah, there's all that kind of stuff. A lot of when I think about how, and 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 thank goodness really since the the Me Too movement and all that kind of stuff, I mm. you know I didn't realise just how male dominated it was until you start to look at the figures of stuff and you're going yes well, why couldn't a woman have directed that show why is that not a man uh, it, always the man who's the set designer why you know and just uh, some pretty inappropriate touching going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It was it was a bit more the wild west in those ways, and yet I I don't know being a country person I've always been able to ha- look after myself very well. I've never been in an awkward situation that I couldn't handle, but that's just me. And and so I think it. And the other thing is, you know, I don't think actors particularly looked after themselves. Whereas now, young actors are absolutely maybe it's the competition's bigger or the or the the honey pot's bigger I don't know because it's very linked to America now or you know careers mm. but but actors are fit they eat well they it's a you different know, generation as well it's a completely different generation mm. and there's a lot of good stuff that's come with that and I and certainly I think the industry needed to be everything needs to update and change what mm. one thing that that I think maybe I miss sometimes is from the old days is there were a lot of directors who were very, very good with text and the, uh, you know, an an ability to teach Mm -hmm. the, how to use language, how to speak Shakespeare, how to be, you know, rhythm, meter, uh, all this kind of stuff. Whereas, you know, as a generalisation, sometimes, I mean, any good actor, even and the young ones as well, this doesn't apply. But, you know, they, they, they kind of went into a kind of a thing where it was sort of, I'll sort of say what I want, when I want, and I might mumble it. And I'll, and you're going, I? Cause, and I, as, as an older, older actor, yeah. I go, that's disrespectful to your audience. They can't hear you. Mm. They can't. You're going to have to make them lean forward in their chair and going, oh, I missed that whole section. Yeah. And I just, I just go, no, you can't do that to your audience. And I'm not talking about talking about bellowing your lines. I'm just talking about clarity yes. or you, you using your language well. If you've got a a lovely word that the writer's given you, and there's a repetition of that word, just even you know, like you said, you know, did you go and get the groceries from the shops? And going, yes, I did get the groceries. When did you get the groceries? So you've mm. got groceries, groceries, groceries. Yes. You know, like use that word and then, mm. you know what I mean, That's a, all, all that lovely That's kind a, of text mm-hmm. work, I really love that. And then I think that used to be more front and centre and, and then it ca- became a little bit more I'll, I'll sort of say it how I feel in the moment. And it's like, yeah, well, mm. that can be kind of good for you individually, but is that serving the story? Is that is, it, is that helping mm. your audience understand? Is it, is it, do you think, partly different direct? 
dictatorial style these days? Yes, I think so. I mean, it's how you're educated at drama school. It's okay. it's new generations of directors. It's and like anything that moves forward, there's always great advances and wonderful new stuff. You go, aha! Oh, this is better. And then there's always things that get left behind. You kind of go, that's a shame. But it's a shame we don't do that anymore. But generally speaking, you will always have directors who, who are the old directors and you've got the new ones coming up. And as an actor, it's lovely to work with both yeah. and being able to handle different different types of directors and how they come at you and what you can take from them. Mm. So do you think that there is a like a, a new industry of theatre in terms of like you know theatre can be overlooked and sometimes you know there are sort of eras that theatre is at you know high point or low point do you think you know how theatre sits for us now? Look I think you know we still have all the young people coming through who who love theatre who are passionate about it and put it on in a garage on the smell of an oily rag and and that's mm. fantastic I think theatre will always be greatly loved because really it's it harks back to the sitting around uh, the campfire mm. as cavemen, you know what I mean, telling the story of the hunt. I mean, it's just we need to hear our stories. Uh, we will always need to, you know, whether it's on film, television or theatre. Mm. There's something so lovely about theatre because, of course, it's live and you're there watching those actors and, and, you know, the thrill of sometimes you know, something goes a little bit wrong and how they cope. And it's like, oh, we all witnessed that together. It's, it's lovely. I do worry that, you know, just say because, because we've obviously been through, well, you know, we're still not out the other side, but of this pandemic, just, just, the, just how hard it was to get the government to help the arts. And it's just, it just saddens me a bit because I think, well, you're not helping because you don't see the value of it. And, you know, and maybe it's because they, they are not theatre goers themselves or what have you. But, you know, that that's sort of incredibly important, you know, because what one of the things that's nice, I think if you're a, if you're a teacher, you know, it's a worthy occupation. You're you're educating the next generation. If you're a nurse or a doctor, you're you're helping heal the sick. It's a really important job. Mm. Garbage collectors, that's a really important job. Like there are jobs mm. where, you know, society just doesn't work. And I know, sure, you, you know, if you don't get your dose of theatre, you're not going to die. But there's a part of us that needs to hear these stories and we thrive on it and we love it and we remember it and we talk about it, you know, when we're having a conversation. Oh, remember that. And Oh, remember that scene where that person, you know, did that or, you know, wasn't that a great story or, you know, we, we need our stories. And, and what did people turn to when we were in lockdown? You watched endless movies and television shows and you read books and you, you turned to the arts. Yeah. We need it. I think because it's not food and water and shelter, we can think, oh, well, it's dispensable, but it's actually not. We're yeah. social creatures we need our world reflected back to us to, for us to kind of navigate the world that we live in. And we need to be uplifted sometimes and we need to laugh and we need to cry. We need to do all those things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was very fortunate because the Sydney Theatre Company, who've been such great champions of mine, you know, I, I couldn't work. My industry just stopped. Yeah. And they gave me this job. Just a little part-time job of getting on yeah. the phone from home 
and calling the subscribers who had donated their tickets back or made donations to the company to keep it afloat from, you know, and, you know, I, and, and I would call them and I'd go, hello, my name's Helen Thompson. I'm an actor with oh the Sydney Theatre Company. I just would like to say thank you so much for the donation you made to the company. It means a great deal to us, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you get people who might give $20,000 and then you get, you'd get a lot of people who give fifty or twenty-five, And you get some person going, oh, dear, I'm just on the pension. But I really wanted to help. And I know it's not much. I said, no, that is a lot. That's a lot. And we are so grateful. And they just, because I love my theatre and I miss it. Mm. You know, just phone call after phone call. And then people go, oh, oh, you called me. Oh, you called me. Oh, no. Oh, it's so lovely. <laughs> going, I saw you in the, <laughs> you know, oh, and, just going, and they're going, when is it coming back? When is it, you know, people just yearning. And mm. you're going, so they're not, they don't have to tell me that. And they are coming out with their own money and saying, please don't disappear. Please don't disappear. Oh, Helen Thompson, thank you so much. (laughs) Oh, what a joy. I just want one last question. You mentioned directing your sister when you were little in the lounge room. Have you done directing? No, and I do get asked. I'm a bit frightened of it, but I think I I think I probably will. Stick to acting. No, no, oh, yeah, I, well, yeah, and I will stick to. I will always stick with acting. It's my first love, but mm. I think probably as I get older, I probably will direct some plays. Oh. I think, yeah, okay. yeah. It's all practice, all from back to back to the farm. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh, Helen Thompson, thank you again. It's my thank pleasure, you. Regina. You've been listening to Backstage. I'm Regina Botros, and the music for this podcast was produced by Dave Ray, and the image by Tuo.